0: Hey guys, it's Pablo. Hello. Today's episode of ESPN Daily is a very special episode because it is a conversation that I had with J.J. Reddick in person at his home in Brooklyn, and it was originally supposed to be about Ben Simmons and his possible return to Philadelphia next week. But it ended up being about a lot
1: more. No, don't know, it's fine. Just set it on the floor so the wires don't like unplug or right, anything. Right. But- right. I think you're good.
2: That's out of the shot. You got your notebook. You just pointed away from
0: the camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm good to go. Cool. Cool. All right. Let's do it.
1: I was someone that at almost eight years old uh, in 1992, Leitner hits the shot against Kentucky uh, to win in overtime. And I turned to my parents and I said, I'm going to go play at Duke.
0: J.J. Reddick played in the NBA for 15 seasons after leaving Duke University, where he was one of the greatest scorers in the history of college basketball.
1: There's a long run of Duke players that have been, yes. using air quotes here, but have been hated, and it felt like everyone hated me.
2: In the eyes of Duke haters, he is the new Christian Laettner, just shorter and with more range. J.J. Reddick, the guy that opposing fans love to hate.
1: Night- and not just hated me, but would say very personal things to me.
2: Virtually every time Duke goes on the road, J.J. Reddick hears the same kind of taunt and bark
1: And as an 18, 19-year-old kid with a very unhealthy ego structure like most 18, 19-year-old kids, yeah. I didn't know how to deal with that.
2: Last time he was in this arena, Reddick was serenaded by a profane chants that were clearly audible on TV. But it's not just at Maryland.
1: I, you know, I saw a therapist for three years at Duke, and it was my first journey into um, exploring and, and sort of growing in my mental health.
0: In the last few years, sports has grown dramatically when it comes to discussing mental health. And we're not where we should be, to be clear. But the whole industry used to be a fortress against psychiatry, as one sports psychologist once described it to me. And now a generation of athletes are realizing the upside of letting people in. But as sports does begin to become more understanding, and we try to ask fans and teams and media to take mental well being more seriously, as seriously as physical injury. What we have not done is address the inevitable and even more uncomfortable tension. A tension we see playing out all the time already from Ben Simmons to Naomi Osaka. And I pose it here as an honest question. How can the culture of sports truly strive to protect an athlete's mental health when the whole point of sports, a point we truly love and celebrate and wanna preserve, is that it pressure tests. An athlete's mental toughness. That question is why I asked our friend JJ to let us in. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, November 18th. This is ESPN Daily. So JJ Redick, uh, we're doing, doing a different kind of, episode on ESPN Daily today and it's something I've been looking forward to for a really long time. One of the reasons I'm looking forward to doing this is because I am actually like at arm's length with you right now. (laughs) We are two human beings in the same room for the first time in earnest. I am at your home in your studio. So thank you for inviting me in.
1: Of course. We have been in the same room before, just not to record a podcast together. That's, that's right. That's that's the difference here.
0: We are escalating our relationships yes. <laughs> in the most significant way. This is a road game. This is a road game for me on yeah, this podcast. That's true. But but on that note, the other big reason I'm excited to talk to you today is because my brain has been obsessed with the idea of Ben Simmons going back to Philly. It has been obsessed with the city of Philadelphia and what makes that city special. And what I've sort of settled on, JJ, if I may monologue briefly here, is that I love sports so much because fans get to watch really high-stakes, uncomfortable scenarios where people are under pressure. And those fans, they are that pressure. They get to raise that pressure. And at the same time, I also think it's incredibly important to be empathetic and smart and honest about mental health, right? And all of the struggles that come when you're in those same scenarios. And I just feel like you, more than anybody else I can think of in sports, honestly, you must have felt this tension running through this business and also your life.
1: Well, I appreciate that. That I'm the person you thought of. That that, that means a Surely. lot. And I and I do think this is an important conversation to have and it's really become at the forefront when we talk about sports. The mental health, the mental trials, the mental fortitude needed, all of all of the non-physical aspects of sports. Now we're beginning to discuss those. And athletes in particular, I think, are driving that conversation. Mm. As the podcast, my podcast evolved and as I got into media last year and I, I got on the other side of a playing career, one of the things that I think is happening now is the humanization of athletes. I don't necessarily think there was intentional dehumanization of athletes prior to the last few years, but I think this is part of that conversation of humanizing athletes a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're hearing from the voices of athletes. We're getting into their brains more than we ever had before. And I feel like to get to why I wanted to talk to you specifically, we need to explain your life (laughs) before you became a wildly popular media magnate, JJ. You're polished now. You're popular. Everybody likes you. (laughs) But I think it's also fair to call you the most heckled, Mm. the most booed college athlete of all time. Is that a title that is fair to your ears?
1: Certainly one of them. I think there's been plenty of athletes. I think of, you know, obviously Christian Leitner, and there's other college athletes that have had to deal with the, the animosity of opposing fan bases. So I don't necessarily think that my experience was unique. It was very unique to me. It was very personal to me. But it was extreme. It was extreme. It was extreme. And, uh, you know, just to give a little background here, I was someone that at almost eight years old, I don't even know at that point if i had played organized basketball yet. And I had this dream that I was going to play at Duke. And and coach K starts recruiting me he's coming to visit my high school to watch me work out he's coming to my high school games and even early on in my career at duke he was like this it was he was like a demigod to me he was like this incredible figure in my life and an icon yeah an yes. icon and look he exceeded those expectations and we can i don't want to make this conversation about me i just want to provide a little background but but he helps me through what was I think, my darkest moments as a a human being. And that was going through what I went through, especially early on in my career at Duke, where I have this idea, I have this expectation of what it means to play for Duke basketball and how that experience is going to go. And then all of a sudden I get there and the players are better. The pressure is, is more intense than I could have imagined. And it felt like everyone hated me. I didn't know how to deal with that.
0: Yeah, I, I want to explain though for the kids, right? Because we're both old now, dude. <laughs> yeah. We're washed, man. Yeah. We're 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 certainly uh, doing our best, but we are, I think, beyond the point where I want to assume that kids understand what you would hear in arenas, on the road, in road games. Like, paint the picture for what that sounded like, what what it felt like as a result.
1: Well, look, you you don't imagine going to a road arena and the entire arena chanting, you, JJ. You don't imagine going to a road arena and people holding up signs referencing, sodomizing your 12-year-old sister. You don't imagine people calling you the antichrist. Fan bases is getting your cell phone number no matter how many times you change them and having your phone ring at 3 a.m. every single morning for weeks on end. Like, you don't imagine those things. And at some point, I, you almost become numb to it. And for me, that was actually helpful. I developed thicker skin. I, I became desensitized, I think, in a good way. I told the story the other day to someone. I was with Q Rich and D Miles uh, and Darius. And like we were talking about my draft night. I'm in MSG and I get drafted by the Orlando Magic who don't even have a rabid fan base, right? There's nothing controversial about the Orlando Magic. (laughs) And I get drafted by the Orlando Magic and all of MSG is booing me. All of MSG is booing me on my draft night
2: with the 11th pick in the 2006 nba draft the orlando magic select jj reddick from duke university
1: it's funny because i don't even remember that bothering me at all because i was so desensitized to it that was just all part of the experience for a period of time in my life and and it was inescapable when i was a duke inescapable
0: yeah no the the panoramic pressure everywhere you look someone is is trying to get into your head and and make your life worse jj you you mentioned a couple of things there in that laundry list some of that was obviously uh horrifying yeah. and and should be an example of obviously the line to not cross right mm-hmm. your 12 year old sister all of that is horrific yeah but I admit that when you mentioned some of the other stuff, I'm like, oh, I remember laughing at that. Yeah. Like, that was pretty cool. I remember thinking that asshole, that arrogant asshole, JJ Redick, like, this is kind of, again, why I like sports.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it was because of therapy or if it was just because how I was predisposed or pre-wired. In some ways, I'm a sicko and I I enjoyed it. I, I, I will admit that. I enjoyed it. To the point where I can remember a game at Florida State where we came out for warm-ups to do our stretch with whatever 60 on the clock before we, w- we went back in for our final meeting, and we're all stretching on our side of the half court, and I can't remember which one of my teammates it was, but I, I, I noticed that a group of students were getting on. I don't know if it was Lee Melchioni or Sean Dockery. Mm. They were getting on them. This was a big road game for us, and I was like, you know what? I don't know if those guys can handle it, but I can. So I started yapping at the crowd. Before you know it, this one kid started following me around everywhere I went on the half court. He was screaming things about um, ejaculating on my parents or uh, on my mother and my older sisters, just in the security guard standing right there, just insane stuff. Jeez. And And I you know, I dropped 19 in the first half. I hit a buzzer beater. I gave a little wave to the crowd <laughs> as I'm walking off. Post five
0: seconds to go. Reddick's going to have to force it up at the buzzer. Got it. Are you kidding? A little wave to the crowd.
2: He may have been waving goodbye to Florida State's chances.
1: <laughs> in some ways, I encouraged it, and I enjoyed it. Definitely not initially, because it was a it was a shock to the system. But I I was able to overcome, in no. some ways, that makes sense. I was able to overcome
0: that. But but this is a key part of the conversation, right? It's mental toughness, as well as mental health that sports tries to test. It is resilience. It is what gets to something that I want to dive even deeper into with you, which is the idea of what does it mean to be clutch, right? (laughs) What does it mean to have your heart rate slow at the moments at which people are expecting and trying to engineer even more than that failure? And it sounds like you, whether you called it that or not, that was something that you were your you're self-testing mm-hmm. as you were in college.
1: I think as an athlete, someone who wants to be great and greatness can mean a lot of different things. Derek Cheater, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, right? Th- those are goats, right? Those are those are some of the, the greatest athletes of, of all time. Unimpeachable winners. Right. But there's a lot of athletes that are great and and maybe don't have the accolades or the rings in this ring culture we live yes, in. Yes, many Zs <laughs> that, right? after the word ring. <laughs> that are great. And, you know, you mentioned the, the sort of the heart rate slowing down. And, you know, I can remember game winners I had in the NBA that were after a timeout, and you're coming out of the huddle. And I remember this just eerie feeling of, like, being so calm and just being so in the moment and thinking to myself, like, oh, I'm going to make the shot, right?
2: J.J. has it. Fires in time for the win. The Slippers win!
1: You don't always experience that with 30 seconds to go and it's live action because you're not, you don't have that time and capacity to sort of uh, be in your own head. But that feeling of calmness, I think that's. We watched Tom Brady the other day have his, whatever, 390th game-winning drive. The latest I'm, I'm example say, yeah, of why yeah.
0: he climbed in my brain for yeah, yeah, this story. I was I like, know. this is it. I know. I'm watching know. it again. Brady on the shotgun.
1: Otten stiff to the right side. Evans wide to the left. Here's the snap. In play action. Fake pass to the right side. Caught ball. Touchdown Tampa Bay. Buccaneers take the lead with nine seconds. Kate Otten. Fire the cannons. Fire the cannons. Fire them again. I was, I was actually down here doing work in the studio and my father-in-law was upstairs and he ran downstairs. He was like, Brady did it again. Brady did it again. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I think that's part of the reason we love sports. Yes. is because it is a test. And as part of that test... There are thousands of people, potentially millions of people, depending on how they're betting that time, <laughs> that are actively rooting for you to fail that test. And then there's people that are actively re- rooting for you to pass that test. And I think there's some, there's some reflection in fandom in terms of how we view athletes and how we want them to succeed and how we want them to overcome. It's, it's In some essence, it's what we all want in our own life. We want to be able to overcome hardship, obstacles, trials, failures, because we're all going to fail at some point. And the greatest athletes are able to overcome that.
0: Yeah. I mean, the greatest athletes leave you unable to say anything back to them. (laughs) (laughs) Those moments where it's just like, I have no taunt retort that's going to cut through not just the leather that you've developed around your ego and your brain because you've been numb to this, but because the evidence The objectivity of sports, JJ, right? This is kind of why sports feels to, you know, actually uh, sort of use the Orlando Magic's team name in a meaningful (laughs) way. Why it feels magical. (laughs) It's why sports feel magical. There is a result that you have to abide by. But but I want to get, before we tumble further into this, because there's a lot there, just to put a button on what the darkest part at Duke felt like, because I want to establish that you have felt mm-hmm. the bottom in ways that athletes, other athletes that you've interviewed on your show, that we've heard about in the news, have have also felt. And, and when you think about the stuff that bothered you, that got to you, do you remember when you realized, like, I need to go figure this out and get help professionally?
1: The beginning of my sophomore year, we had gone to the Great Alaskan Shootout, mm. which that time of year, look... Sunrises at 11. It sets at about 3 p.m. It's a depressing time period. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're on the other side of the, the, the world, essentially. And I struggled in that. And then I, we came back, and I, I really wasn't playing well. And shortly before the, the Christmas break, uh, when the students left campus, uh, I invited my sisters over. And the bottom looked like quitting. I, I tried to quit that night. I, I told them I didn't want to do this anymore. Part of the reason was... I didn't feel like it was what I signed up for, mm. and, you know. And some of that is immaturity because you have this idealized version of what Duke is, and I knew it was going to be tough. I didn't realize it was going to be that tough.
0: But you were eight years old, thinking I have the dream, and yeah. the dream feels like a nightmare.
1: Those four years were magical, to steal your word, but it was a mental f- every day. It was a mental f- every day. So that's that's a bottom sophomore year. You know, I I, I end up second team All ACC, third team All American. We get to the Final Four. I fail then. Um, and I had been on a downward spiral prior to that. I had started seeing a counselor. I had been on antidepressants, but I was in a bad place. And I I got off the grid. And I would, was lying to people. I told my parents I was here. I told Duke I was here. I was holed up in this apartment uh, near mm. campus. And for two weeks, I'm supposed to be finishing an incomplete because I hadn't gone to class all semester. For two weeks, I would I would wake up at two p.m. Uh, I'd watch a movie, I'd wait for everybody to get back from class, I'd drink some beers, I'd go to bed at 4am, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And all of a sudden I f- get a knock on the door, bang, 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 bang. And uh, my buddy who was, uh, who I was crashing at his pa- place runs upstairs, he's like, "Wojo and Collins are outside, what do I do? And I was like, I'll go f- see him. I was so glad they f- saved me. They saved me. These are your assistant coaches, for the record. They found me. I was so relieved. And they hauled me back to campus. They took me through the office. We had a great meeting with Coach K. It wasn't an ultimatum, but it was like, dude, we're going to get you the help you need. So that summer was very intensive. I I had a schedule hour by hour. I saw a psychiatrist. I I saw a psychologist. I got in incredible shape, turned my life around, all good. I had so many bottoms after that. That's the truth. I had so many, my my first two years in the NBA, that was a bottom. I had a panic attack my second year during the starting lineups in Houston. I got home from that road trip, I crumbled to the floor, that was a bottom. You know, my entire last year, I'm alone in New Orleans, my family is in Brooklyn, that was a bottom. I had this conversation, I'll never forget this conversation. Uh, My best friend is Ben Winston, who I know you know, uh, incredible human being, he works in television in LA. We met in LA, My first Thanksgiving with him, uh, he's over at my house and we had played on Wednesday, Thursday off, Friday we had a game and I'm complaining to him about different things happening with the team, the pressure, all that stuff. And he looked at me and he said, Jay, you got to understand, this is the plight of a sportsman. This is the plight. And he said that to me yesterday. I said something about my last year and he was like, you told me that in your 11th year. You told me that in your 9th year. You told me that in your 8th year. It's part of... Of what we sign up for. There's a lot of bottoms. There's a lot of peaks. It's right. an incredible ride. I wouldn't change a thing. But man, there's there's bottoms.
0: More from JJ Reddick
2: after the break. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt.
0: I remember I've done reporting on, on mental health and sports before. I remember talking to uh, this guy, David R. McDuff, who was the team psychiatrist of the Orioles and the Ravens, and he's written books, and he was a psychiatry professor at Maryland's Medical School. And what he told me, uh, and I want to read this quote just because I want to get it right, about the brain and athletes, he said, quote, it's one tank. We can artificially break it down, but there is no partitioning in your mind. And the reason I want to bring that quote up is because I'm curious, when stuff is happening right that's just in your head how do you feel it seeping into your performance right because the reason i want to do this show is because we talk so much about mental health but what happens if your job jj if the life of the sportsman that you signed up for that you dreamed about the job is to be tested the yeah. job is supposed to be hard so how do you how do you feel that how do you describe how all of that is happening behind the scenes
1: As an active athlete, at least for me, there were only two compartments. There was off-season and there was (laughs) in-season. And once I was in-season, everything bled into my life. If I had something going on in the NBA, I was worried about it the night before. It was something my wife and I have talked about a ton. It was incredibly difficult to be present in my day-to-day life during the season because so much of... My brainwaves were consumed with what whatever was happening. There's that Jay Z quote. It was all good just a week ago, right? Is it was yeah, a song? Yeah, I think it was yeah. uh, Hard Knocks Volume Two. I think it was with that <laughs> album. I may be butchering that, but uh, it was all good just a week ago. And so I, I like you. You get in these moments during the season where you're like, F- "Good, I'm good." And then I've and got then, three straight twenty point games. I'm shooting fifty percent from the field this month, and then. A week later, you're like, I suck. I have, I have 99, I <laughs> more than 99 yes, problems. Yes, exactly. The and I, I, I think you talk about pressure. You mentioned the word pressure in your opening monologue. And I think it's important at this point to start talking about pressure and yes, what please. pressure actually please. means. Because I think most people intuitively understand this. But I want to be very uh, sort of explicit about this. There are two types of pressure for an athlete. There's obviously the ins- external impre- pressure, and I think the external pressure on athletes in my generation has been ratcheted up. It's unavoidable. You cannot unsee tweets. You cannot unsee what's written on Hoop's hype. You cannot unsee what's what we talk about on First Take. It's there. Mm-hmm. You you basically need to not watch TV, not have a phone. And that's impossible, right? Correct. It's it's More
0: people than ever have access to your yes. brain.
1: So the, there's the external pressure. But then I, I think it's important to note the internal pressure, right? The pressure coming from self. And to get to a certain level as an athlete, that pressure is inherently so high. That was the pressure that nearly broke me multiple times. It was not necessarily the external pressure. The stuff that happened at Duke, especially early on, that was hard for me to deal with because I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't expect it. I didn't have the ego structure to deal with it. That's not what broke me in year one of the NBA or year two or year 10 or year 15. It was that internal pressure that I put on myself no one put any more pressure on me than myself that it was it came from me and i think most athletes are wired that way
0: yeah what you're saying and i think this part is is a human a human thing too the most effective troll is is yourself you're the one it's, it's the whole like my harshest critic is me yes but it's it's not just criticism it's it's haunting it sounds like it is, it is you being, yeah, your biggest enemy in that way.
1: Well, it's interesting. You, you said, uh, I can't remember what you said earlier. I think you called me a wildly popular media personality. That's right. Okay. That's right.
0: You're curating <laughs> the polls. The exit polls are just All off right. the charts for you. These so days.
1: To, somehow to, I want to respond to that because even young as a high school player, where you're getting accolades. I have never felt comfortable with that of someone saying something great about my game or great about me. Like it's again, cause it goes back to that criticism of self. And it's not like I'm, I'm like so hard on myself that I can't pat myself on the back. Of course I can pat myself on the back, but I, I want to be the sort of uh, the judge yes of, yes. of Your standards whether or not
0: are higher yeah and then look
1: in the media space real quick just in the media space like it, it's a, it's a different thing because we don't have results Correct. As as an athlete, we have results. I know whether or not I had a good shooting night. I know whether or not my team won. I know whether or not I played. (laughs) You have results
0: in sports. (laughs) Now in the media, you have debates. (laughs) There's no winner, JJ. It just never ends.
1: That's. I mean, that also is debatable because I, in my brain, I'm 57 and two against Stephen (laughs) A. I will not ask you about your record against uh, Chris Russo. Yeah.
0: But, but but, to the point, though, about, like, the business of, of sports talk and pressure, right? It raises the question of what we want this to be like. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you're describing... I think if you're an alien and you've listened to you talk about your life, you're like, A, this guy is objectively a sicko. <laughs> Noted. We'll take that back to our planet. Yeah. But secondly, it's like, it seems like they could be doing things differently. And yet... A lot of why I wanted to do this episode is because I feel myself generationally feeling divorced from Naomi Osaka in ways. I feel myself divorced from younger athletes in ways who say that negativity Mm. should not be the default resting state of sports culture. And I think there's a lot there, but I'm curious as to your immediate reactions to, okay, yeah, what should this be
1: like then? Right. So let's, let's talk about tennis for a second. Yeah. My wife plays tennis. Uh, she's a member at a little indoor. There's a couple courts, a little indoor place here in Brooklyn. Um, there's hundreds of people that play. That's one spot. There's thousands of people that play year-round in Florida. There's thousands of people that play year-round in Arizona, California. There's thousands and thousands. if not millions and millions of people that play tennis, right? But there's like five tennis players that matter, five. Yeah, that's about right. Golf, I'm obsessed. You talk about a sicko, I'm obsessed. It has become a detriment to my marriage. I'm so obsessed (laughs) and I love my wife and I love my kids. I'm obsessed. There's like 20 golfers in the world that matter. The stakes, the stakes are important to note. The stakes are so high. And when we think about sports and when we think about why does, why does the live not matter? Why does it not matter? Because not all the best golfers are on the live tour, right? Why do people not pay attention to the G League? Because the best basketball players in the world are in the NBA. The best football players in the world are in the NFL. The best tennis players are on one tour and they play against each other. And we get to say, this person is the best, this person is not the best, right? That's why they matter, because the stakes are so high, because competition matters. The test is supposed... The the, the test we want to watch
0: is the hardest one. Yes. Right? Otherwise, it doesn't matter. But but, but let's, let's put another wrinkle into this, right? Because we've run an extraordinary experiment over the last several years, right? We isolated a variable that was never able to be isolated before. What did we do? We had... No fans in the building, <laughs> in the NBA, at games. And the result of that experiment was f- terrible. It wasn't the same. It felt different. And I think it took a while for people to realize like, okay, wow, the humans that heckle, boo, cheer, watch, they matter so much more than I think even I as one of those people who grew up in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium. Like, again, disclose my own priors here in the ways that I am a sicko. That stuff right? That's also essential to why we care. It turned out. We want to see, we want to see the pressure manifest. We want to see the reaction. We want to see this be hard and compelling. We want to your point. We want the stakes to be as high as they can be.
1: Yeah. The two words I thought of when you're talking about that are organic and symbiotic. And I'll get into both. There is something that's very organic about the sporting experience with fans in the building it's this moment in time people have paid money i've prepared all day i've gotten nauseous i've got (laughs) butterflies yes like i've got to perform in front of these people maybe they hate me maybe they love me i don't know but i've got to perform it's it there's this organicness net uh associated with just all these people coming together to watch something and then there's the the symbiotic nature of performing and fandom. I, I talked about this a ton when I was with the Sixers. It's like when you get it right with the right fan base. Oh,
0: dude, I. My, I it's I, so I, beautiful. I, dude, I am the kind it's of. It's so beautiful. I, I can feel like the goosebumps kind of because I'm, mem- I'm remembering when it is right. It's. Unlike anything else in human civilization. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on their feet at Wells Fargo Center. No timeout. Hang on, Oliver. Coming in for a landing. Credit for three. Yes! yes! Jenny! Jenny!
0: But what we got with the palpable physical, psychological interaction you're describing, we have the arena, okay? And you mentioned Tom Brady. We've heard Tom Brady quote this. I've heard LeBron quote this. I've heard the late Senator John McCain quote this. It's Teddy Roosevelt's man-in-the-arena speech, right? Mm -hmm. It is not the critic who counts. And I say that knowing that we both uh, like to think that we count in our capacity as critics, but nonetheless, it is not the critic who counts. It is the man in the arena, dust marred with sweat and blood and all that Mm. stuff. You get it.
1: What is sports without the arena? What's sports without critics? What's sports without fans? It doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. My friend, uh, Hasan Minhaj, came on our podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. And he's a a producer, so he comes with topics to talk about on my podcast, which is beautiful. (laughs) It makes my job easy. And he actually had a question for me. And the question was, what do athletes owe fans? I thought it was a pretty profound question. And there's a lot of nuance to how you answer that. Jason Gallagher, our wonderful head of content, video mm-hmm. producer on our podcast, screenshotted the next day when he put it up, uh, the first two comments uh, on our YouTube channel. And the first comment was, everything. And the other comment was, nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so there are some people that think, well, no, of athletes course. don't owe fans anything. And fans, can, fans think, well, I can do whatever I want because athletes owe me everything. The truth lies probably somewhere in the middle. The truth lies somewhere in the middle.
0: But the plausibility that either extreme is actually the default is kind of why we have to talk about this. Yes, exactly. Right? And so look, JJ, like, again, the arena, the thing that Ben Simmons, right, has struggled with, but in terms of a city that embodies the arena, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you played in Philly. It doesn't seem like there's a plausible challenger to Philly having that belt.
1: Look, I've been to Knicks games. I've been to Knicks games. I've played against the Knicks in MSG. I've been as a fan. Uh, you know, I I went to a bunch of games last year. I go to Nets games. Take take my oldest all the time. Philly fans would not have put up with the bullshit that the Knicks have put on the court for the last <laughs> 20 years.
2: Yeah. yeah. There would be I real consequences. Right. I think
1: that's right. So don't, no, there's nothing like Philly. There's nothing like Philly.
0: JJ, th- so, like, it's the Sixers, it's the Phillies, it's, it's the, Flyers. the Eagles, the Flyers. <laughs> Dude, Veteran Stadium, okay? I just want to get this on the record because I had to look this up before today's uh, special episode. Veteran Stadium. Every- Philly Philly fans are so mad whenever I mention, oh, you guys threw snowballs at Santa Claus as if that's the number one example here. It's not the number one example. They're right. The number one example is at a Veteran Stadium, the old Veteran Stadium that got demolished. There was a literal jail. <laughs> And you may have heard of this jail. What I did not know about until I researched this today is that there was also a courtroom. (laughs) There was a judge that presided over the court. And he said, you know, uh, disorderly conduct, uh, you know, you're drinking, underage, whatever. But what Philly is is also, therefore, this cauldron that Mm -hmm. separates And this is going to sound like a cruel analogy, but it separates wheat from chaff. It celebrates the people who can handle this Mm. and the people who can't. And when we talk about mental health, JJ, again, what do we change about the arena, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. Like,
1: do we want Philly fans to be different? I think it's important to separate bad actors. And, you know, on the internet, they're called trolls, right? It's important to separate that.
0: Bad faith participants. Correct. Correct.
1: I signed with Philly in 2017 and I got there and I was it was about a month or two into the season. I'm like, oh man, I didn't know sports radio was still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it is apparently in Philadelphia. Absolutely. And let, let's talk about that. There's bad faith actors in Philadelphia sports media, right? And they get a lot of the attention. They seem louder than the good faith actors. And... There's the flip side of that, which I think Philly fans do well, is that they hold their team, their fans hold their teams accountable. They hold their coaches accountable. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: You could argue that they themselves are presiding over a courtroom at every arena in which yes. they are the judge, jury, and executioner. Yes.
1: But look, I, not to bring up the magic again, but Orlando's a different place than Philadelphia. And Orlando has some really great fans. But there's a passivity to their fandom mm-hmm. versus a rabidness in philadelphia <laughs>
2: magic fandom. which one
1: do you want <laughs> right. is my question because for me for me i'll take the rapidness and i'll deal with the consequences of that and the other point i wanted to make the distinction between mental health and mental toughness that's what the conversation is about yes. right because everyone Every single human being has mental health problems, has mental health issues. It is part of the human experience. Absolutely. Okay. So every athlete, therefore, will have mental health issues at some point in their career. It's the people that are mentally tough. That's what makes us admire an athlete. That's what makes us talk about Tom Brady as the GOAT. He's clearly mentally tough. Michael Jordan, mentally tough. Derek Jeter, mentally tough. Right? That's it.
0: It, it, It's aspirational and fundamentally, if we're being honest with ourselves, unrelatable. (laughs) (laughs) We want to be that. We know we never will be that. And so those people get elevated to this, yeah, a a demigod status,
1: JJ. Well, I... Look, I, I brought up the fact of, you know, I, you said it too. I'm a, I'm a sicko. And I'm also my worst critic. And I I don't have regrets in my athletic career. I do look back on certain times. I don't say, I, I wish I had made that shot. Or I wish I had made that pass. Or I wish a result was different. No, I say to myself, during that period of time, could you have done something different Could you have meditated better because you had done your visualization routine a little better could you have been mentally tougher those are the question marks that i have think about like houston series could i have been mentally tougher when we go up 3-1 and by an extension of that could i have led better could i have been a better leader but to be a better leader i had to have been mentally tougher
0: there's no doubt that the mental side of things is so much more complicated, right? Not least because, okay, I'm hurt. I can't play or I'm gonna tough it out. Everybody can see that obviously, right? I'm limping into the end zone right now, or I can't go today. But what you're describing with mental toughness is is the demand that sports places on people who are dealing with mental health issues to overcome them, to not be unhealthy. Right, And so we're trying to be empathetic towards that medical concern while also saying, but you know what? If you do overcome it, you're the GOAT. (laughs) Which seems like, again, a a pretty tortuous kind of dynamic.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm incredibly empathetic. At least I try to be. Um, But I'm incredibly empathetic to anyone dealing with any mental health issue, not just an athlete. And I also... I'm empathetic towards athletes who maybe say I I didn't perform here because I was going through some things. I don't necessarily look at that as someone making excuses. I guess I, right. I, I wanted to I wanted to bring this up because I do think there's a difference between not being mentally tough and and being soft because soft is a label so this is soft is a label that gets thrown around about athletes i mean i i lived in locker rooms for 15 years dude and i i had teammates that were soft it's, they were soft but let's talk about a, that what a, is a, that
0: it's a little different well let's talk about this because when i ask about what should change about sports culture right vocabulary <laughs> yeah. is an obvious one that i want to be i want to figure out where i am on this on the political spectrum right soft choker right? Like all of these things. Tell me what softness in practical, fair terms to you is as it relates to the mental health conversation
1: here. Uh, the 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 term soft, right? There, there's some there's some implications there. Uh, there's certainly some implications if you sort of go down the rabbit hole on that word about some gender biases and whatnot. Of course. Look, but to, to me, soft, if we're going to use that word, soft to me means the person doesn't love it. I think any athlete will tell you this, like not any athlete. Most athletes will tell you, and it was this way for me, the 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 arena, the competition, the camaraderie, the fans screaming at you, huh, that's a sanctuary. That's my happy place. Mm. That's my safe place. The game is my safe place. I enjoyed that part of it. And, and I think most athletes do enjoy that part of it. They enjoy that. It, it, that's what comes with it. I don't, I don't want to name specific people. I don't. I, <laughs> it's okay if you're not mentally tough. It's okay. I'm not going to applaud you for it, but it's okay. I'm not going to judge you for it. It's okay. But it's part of what we signed up for. If you want to play professional sports at the highest level and play against the greatest athletes in the world in your sport, it's a requirement of the job, and if you can't do it, it's okay. It's okay.
0: I feel myself thinking of like Mad Men, and I think about that because there's that scene where Don—I Don, don't know where you're going Don Draper—is talking to Peggy Olson, okay, and Peggy Olson is telling Don Draper, her, her boss, "You never say thank you," and Don Draper
1: says, "It's your job." I give you money, you give me ideas. And you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. That's what the money is for. I had a coach tell me that essentially one time. Yeah, I was complaining about playing time. Not complaining. I was uh persistent in telling him that I should be playing and trying to understand why not and trying to understand what I needed to do to to get playing time. And I remember him saying to me one time, Are your checks still coming on the first and fifteenth? <laughs> and shut the f- up. <laughs>
0: And so, but I want to be fair, right? Because there's a way in which that has been the default for so long to the point where mental health has been erased and ignored. And that's terrible, right? Right. But the point is, we're trying to calibrate balance between these two extremes, everything and nothing. And somewhere in the middle, right? Somewhere in the middle is the job of, I don't know, people who care about sports to figure out what do we want this to be? And- (sighs) It's funny, right? The NBA has this code of conduct. And the code of conduct, by its own standard, would result in the city of Philadelphia being ejected (laughs) from every game. Quote, guests will enjoy the basketball experience free from disruptive behavior, including foul or abusive language and obscene gestures. End quote. Right? So that's a goal. (laughs) but it also feels like realistically, right? I think of sports, JJ, as like, okay, it's a rated R movie, but it's being sold as PG-13. You know, there are going to be some curse words, but we're not actually going to punish those people for cursing. They're going to be habitual line steppers, but we're actually okay with that. But we want to sell this to families and kids. But in reality, man, like we want this to be hard and tough and the cauldron that melts some people's faces off and others turn into Derek Jeter. But I also don't want to make sports the arena in that way, to use a term that you used, a safe space. I, I, I as a fan, that's not what I want.
1: Well, did you hear me describe the safe space? <laughs> it was f- chaotic, man. It was chaotic. There's a line. And it's easier for that line to get crossed. I really believe this. It's easier for that line to get crossed at NBA games than probably anywhere else because of the nature of our sport. The best players are amplified. The superstars um, have the attention and spotlight on them. You can um, hear stuff. The too. fans are closer to the <laughs> arena. I'm not wearing a helmet. I can hear <laughs> everything you say. And and when those lines get crossed, and and look, a racial slur... Uh, no uh, doubt uh, s- someone talking about someone's white like those are lines that get crossed i had a fan kicked out of a game i had a fan kicked out of a game in memphis I, do, did i want to kick a fan out of the game no what they do the guy there's two gentlemen sitting courtside next to a 12 year old kid and and the 12 year old kid was not part of their party and they kept saying that i performed fellatio on coach k not in those words they kept saying it. look and i said to the referee like i don't i don't know that that's the right Message to be sending to a twelve-year-old, and certainly not the rest of the fans out. They they, they tossed him out of there. Whatever, not not a big deal. We're going to have a, a serious convo about fan decorum and fan behavior. Cheer for your team. Uh, ridicule the other team. Ridicule. It's all good. Ridicule. Yep. Ridicule. You, you cross the line, and, and and any normal human being knows what what when, when that line is crossed. I don't like the fact that they say uh, this fan is banned for a year. No. No. Lifetime ban. Mm. Lifetime ban. Judge JJ. Commissioner JJ. (laughs) (laughs) But every night in the NBA, there's 8 to 12 games for months and months and months. And we maybe get one or two bad actors. Mm -hmm. Like really Mm -hmm. bad actors Mm -hmm. a season. One or two. We talk about athletes and we talk about them not reaching a level of mental toughness to perform at their best. And we could probably name 10 over the last year, Mm -hmm. 10 maybe. So by and large, I would dispute, you know, that NBA players are getting softer. I would dispute that NBA fans are out of control. I just think we, we see more now. We see more because of the digital age. Am I wrong in that?
0: I think this is a phenomenon that we see in politics all the time, right? When does something going viral feel like it is a phenomenon as opposed to a thing that lots of people are seeing and it's distorting their understanding? We'll be right back.
2: Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance
0: Everybody in this conversation on all sides of this table at this summit should go to therapy, <laughs> right? Like fans, athletes, everybody. I, I fully agree that that is probably the most practically useful step forward to start. A lot, there's
1: a lot of good apps out there, by the way. There's a lot of good apps. You can do it on your phone. You can go to therapy on your phone now, man. No,
0: it's, it's incredible. It's easy thing to do. It's incredible <laughs> and it should be destigmatized in all of these ways. But at the same time, what you're saying... And I want to return to this thing that you said, because it's very meaningful, because you talk to athletes, you've interviewed them about mental health concerns, that what you're saying is that this job ain't for everyone, and that we cannot, to use the loaded verb here, soften this to the point where that resting state of intense negativity that is responsible for the paychecks and fuels the business and fuels the goosebumps, right, that that is something that we don't
1: want to change. And I agree with that. And I think that's spot on to my point. When I think about an athlete, I talk all the time. A lot of smart people talk all the time about how much fit matters. You know, the the pieces around you, the right coach, right? The, the right development staff, the right? Training staff. And you find the right fit. And there's 10 guys where fit really doesn't matter because they're so damn good. Mm -hmm. But you find the right fit and it brings out the best in you. As part of fit, environment matters, right? You bring up Philly. Like environment matters. And in some ways, the wrong athlete in the wrong city and the wrong environment, that's not going to be them at their best.
0: Absolutely not. It does feel like, I mean, look, empathy is this overused word, but it feels like the only way forward here for this to be a healthy relationship. Fans, athletes, media, sports radio guys who still exist who want to torture you, (laughs) right? The whole thing, JJ, I mean, you talked about your marriage. I think about this in my marriage all the time. Love languages, Mm. right? Athletes, I understand if they feel the way that Peggy Olsen feels. Why don't you say thank you? Yeah. Fans, they feel like the way they express their love is by telling you to go for yourself. <laughs> Why? Because they love this this thing, this game, what you do so much. They respect you so much that they want
1: to torture you for it. So so on, so on that note, the the negativity, right? And and the the the, the sentiment of being so obsessed with someone or something or some team uh, that how you express that is to go for yourself right I, i'm I'm just gonna be critical of you and and we tend to wait till the end I think that's what's interesting about being an athlete you tend to wait till the end to celebrate someone and while you're in your career it's just constant criticism and critique well cri- criti- i should say critique because criticism's not a fair word there it's constant critique we had this 12-minute conversation on the Lakers, Will Bond, Stephen A., and I. And we had a very nuanced conversation about their their potential ceiling. Should they or should they not trade Russell Westbrook for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner? Um, they still have not addressed any of their shooting woes. Uh, they did not do a good job of building out that roster. Mm-hmm. Rob Palinka still got an extension. How, I don't know. It baffles me <laughs> as well as you, I'm sure. It does. But, But at the very end, the very end of my fourth point, I said, the silver lining in all this is if you're a Lakers fan, you know, you're not going to have a good season. So why not celebrate LeBron breaking Kareem's record in a Lakers jersey? Now, I had just spent 10 minutes or so with Wilbon and Stephen A. being very critical of uh lebron and ad and russ and yes. and how they built that team and whether or not they should make that trade and there's a lot of people you know were responded to that or were directly messaging me on instagram but calling you like a cheerleader yeah basically. calling like, me a cheer why we should be critical of lebron just like of course we are of course we are like by the way lebron hasn't looked as good He hasn't looked like LeBron. Maybe father time is finally catching up with him in year 20, in year (laughs) 20 without taking two years off twice. But okay. Anyways, why, but why can't we just celebrate in the moment? Like, I'm not saying we have to do that all the time. I'm not saying it has to be peaches and cream all the time, but we should celebrate in the moment. I go back to like, like what is, what is winning? Like what is winning? Should we not, celebrate small victories did i get did i get done with every season in my career and say oh man i'm i'm disappointed i didn't win a championship yes i did i absolutely did but then i was self critical did i make steps in my career did i get better this year how how would you rate your overall performance how would you rate your overall performance as it relates to your your role on the team how would you rate your how how you led this year how would you rate yourself as a teammate Like, I I was self-critical in all that. And we should be that way with all athletes. But we should also celebrate small wins. I did that. Gave me sanity. If you're a fan and you want some level of sanity, (laughs) celebrate (laughs) the small wins. Are all sports fans masochists? Absolutely not. But there's a subsection of sports fans that are masochists. And they're sadists, too. And they're sadists, too. (laughs) Because all that could come out of their mouth is go f*** yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know, if we've learned nothing else from this podcast, JJ, it's safe to say that all of us, we have pretty weird kinks. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. I love it. JJ Reddick, thank you for indulging. Yeah, um, my own set of kinks here <laughs> as it comes to sports culture.
1: You know what's funny? I'll tell you what's funny. Originally, I started podcasting. <laughs> I was like, I hope I get some good stories, or I want to ask a really technical question. <laughs> and somehow, every podcast I go on and every podcast I host turns into a therapy session. <laughs> I feel like that's, <laughs> what, that's what today was.
0: I am happy to offer ESPN Daily as a literal in network provider. Yeah. Thank you for having me over, man. Of course. For more from JJ Reddick, you can listen to his own really good podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Brian Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Tyrus Ray, Kylie Kilgore, Julian Gooden, and Jackson Agelo. I'll talk to you Monday. Um.